0: Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough
1: to think about Him? Episode 182, White's Case for the Trinity, Part 2. The first half of Dr. White's opening statement was pretty rough. He leaned heavily on the fact that at least a couple of times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as Theos, as God. Unfortunately, he threw out some controversial passages, some unclear passages, as if they were clear. And then having just given very perfunctory Trinitarian language without really taking a position on the Trinity, He jumped over to the deity of Christ, which he thought was easy to prove from the New Testament. But even there, he's unclear. Most of the time, it sounds like he's identifying Jesus with the one God. And I don't mean by that merely associating them together, but rather identifying one with the other, asserting their numerical identity. Like J.W. and Dr. White are the same, or W. and George W. Bush are the same. We're really just talking about one being. The problem with that, and I explained this in some depth in podcast 124, called A Challenge to Jesus' God Apologists. The problem with that is that Jesus and God, on any account, are going to differ. And a thing can't at one time differ with itself. That's just self-evident. If you're ever unsure whether you're dealing with one thing or with two things that is one thing described in two different ways, or just two things, if you find that at any time they've actually been different from one another, well, then they really are two, because a thing can't differ from itself. On Dr. White's view, as a Trinitarian, the Trinity just is the one God. On Dr. White's view, I assume, Jesus is not triune. Jesus is not tripersonal. So then his view should be that Jesus is not God. How is Jesus related to God? This is where you have to have a little precision in stating your own Trinity theory. Some think he's a part of God. Some think he's just a mode of God or a personality of God, etc. In what we've heard so far, Dr. White doesn't really come close to making a case for the Trinity that would persuade somebody who wasn't already on the team. Sure, if Jesus is called God, that's consistent with the Trinity. Sure, if there are three, as Dr. White says, who are called God or implied to be God in some sense of be, that's consistent with various Trinity theories. Right, but we need texts that aren't just consistent with that. We need texts which force a Trinitarian theology. He hasn't done that. Okay, but he's only partway through his opening statement. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt and hear out the rest of his case
0: this is the faith of the christian people and has been from the beginning so if all of this is true why are we here tonight well because unitarians assume that all these texts must mean something other than that the trinity is true because they assume unitarianism
1: at this point i think this is just an ad hominem attack like unitarian christians are just dumb they're just dumb and they're stubborn And even though these texts are obviously incompatible with their view, they just think, well, they must mean something else than what they obviously mean. Dr. White should read some more serious Unitarian interpreters because their view is really based on looking at all of scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, and it's really not nearly as arbitrary as all that.
0: So how can we get past this problem? The answer I believe, is found in recognizing one startling and yet inarguable fact. The writers of the New Testament identify Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as Yahweh, the one true God.
1: Identify as. Okay, there's a couple of things he might mean here. Is he saying that the New Testament describes each one of them as being within God or as being fully divine or something like that? Or is he saying that the New Testament writers assume and assert their identity? If it's numerical identity, there can't be any differences between the three, because we're just talking about one being. On the other hand, if he's saying the three of them are different, and each one is fully divine, you've got three fully divine beings, which is only verbally different from three gods. So which is it?
0: What this means is that if we find that the New Testament writers in fact differentiate between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they do, and yet identify each as Yahweh, then they are teaching the Trinity.
1: So, what does he think the Trinity is? It's really unclear at this point. One way to take this is that he thinks the Trinity is the following claims The Father just is God, the Son just is God. The Holy Spirit just is God. In each case, it's an identity statement, a statement of numerical identity. And yet, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are different from one another. If that's what the doctrine of the Trinity is, then it's demonstrably incoherent. It's inconsistent with itself. And the reason it is, is because numerical identity is transitive. If A is numerically identical to B and B is numerically identical to C, then A is numerically identical to C. This is just an obvious fact about the identity relation. Okay, so if the Father is God, in the sense of numerical identity, and the Son is God, in that same sense, it logically follows that the Father just is the Son. And yet, he's saying that that's false. Oh, by the way, Father and Son are different. That is, they're not numerically distinct. Okay, well, that's just a piece of nonsense that we can dismiss. If that's what the Trinity is, it's just demonstrably incoherent. Now, the good news is if you're a Trinitarian, these Christian philosophers, basically none of them take it that way. All of the current Trinity theories are designed to get around the problem I just said. None of them, except the positive Mysterians, but I won't go into that now, none of the main ones that have been discussed identify the Father with God and the Son with God, and yet say Father and Son are not identical, because they realize that that's nonsense. Is this what Dr. White means? I would say charity requires us to say no, because it's a foolish position. Let's see what he goes on to say.
0: One being of God, Yahweh, shared by three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So is this what we find in the Testament Revelation? It most assuredly is.
1: Now, his gloss on the traditional Trinity language is just baffling. First, he says there's one being of God shared by three persons. It sounds like he's saying that there's one universal property of divinity, and that universal property is instantiated in or is had by three different beings, Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay, but three beings, each of which has divinity, are three gods. On the other hand, how could he mean God here to be a universal property because he mentions the proper name Yahweh? If he's saying not the property of divinity, but the individual being of God is shared by three persons, what does that shared mean? Are the persons supposed to be parts of a whole? I don't think that's his view. Are they shared in the sense that each one just is him? That's numerical identity. I just said that was an uncharitable interpretation of Dr. White. I hope that's not what he's saying. Is he saying that three different things are numerically identical to the same thing? I don't know. I don't think he knows. I don't think he has an interpretation of this old Catholic language. All he knows is that he's supposed to make a distinction between being in person, and that'll make it come out okay. Well, it depends if you're trying to be a self-consistent monotheist, or if you're just happy to be a monotheist who's also a polytheist. If you're not happy with that, you're not going to want to say that there are three different beings, each of whom is fully divine, or each of which has a divine nature, each of which is a god. So again, he's just putting language out there with no clear interpretation. There's two obvious ways that language could be taken. One way is just patently contradictory with itself. And the other way, where the being of God is a universal divinity, results in three, each of which is a God. And he doesn't lift a finger to tell us which, if either of these is correct, or if he's got some other way to explain what he means. I don't think he knows what he means. That's why he rushes back to his proof text now. And let's just ask, what are these texts for? Are they saying that each one is a part of God? I don't think so. Are they saying that each one qualitatively is fully divine so that each has the universal quality divinity? The way that he expounds them, I don't think so. So I'm back to my uncharitable reading. He thinks three different things are each identical to the same thing, which is a contradiction. Again, if the Father just is God, the Son just is God, it logically follows from that just by standard logic that's taught in any beginning college course that the Father just is the Son. And Dr. White would add, by the way, it's false that the Father just is the Son. They are different. They're not numerically the same. Well, you've just gone down in flames, but let's hear his proof text.
0: So is this what we find in the Testament Revelation? It most assuredly is. In Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27, we read these words. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. And and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Now who is this about? Go back to verse 22. It is about Yahweh. Only Yahweh is unchanging and immutable. Any mere creature or creation cannot be described in the way that Yahweh is described in Psalm 102, 25 through 27. These are words of the only one true God.
1: Let me just pause here for a moment and point out that we're back to using Yahweh as a personal name. Now, when he says Yahweh, he means it to be a someone, indeed a God, the God. He's just immediately dropped using the term Yahweh for a shared being, whatever that's supposed to mean. Now it's a someone. Before it couldn't be a someone because that's what the persons are supposed to be. They're supposed to be three who's and one what. Yeah, but Yahweh is not a what in the Bible. Yahweh is a who. And of course you find out in the New Testament that's the one that Jesus calls father. Okay, but let's let him finish his point.
0: Then we turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. In verse 8, we have a series, begins with Old Testament quotations, with the phrase, but of the Son, he says, followed by a citation of Psalm 45. So here the writer is telling us, these are texts about the Son, Jesus. Verse 10 begins with the basic and, indicating a second citation about the Son. And what does the writer to the Hebrews quote, about the son of god well you can look at it hebrews chapter 1 verses 10 through 12 in the beginning lord you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens the work of your hands they will pass away but you remain they all will become old as a garment as a cloak you will roll them up as a garment they will be changed but you are the same and your years will never come to an end quoting directly from the greek septuagint version of psalm 102 words that can only be applied to yahweh plainly applied to the son in inspired scripture. Why would the writer of the Hebrews do such a thing? Because he believed in the deity of Christ.
1: Okay. So that was a long, complicated passage. Let me summarize it for you. The argument is that there is a psalm which is about God and it's being quoted here and said to be about the son. Aha, the father and son are the same. That is that God and his son are the same. Well, as far as I'm concerned, there's been a definitive answer given to this. It's given by Sir Anthony Buzzard in his 2007 book called Jesus Was Not a Trinitarian, A Call to Return to the Creed of Jesus. He has a whole appendix, appendix number three, at the end of this book. And it's not just Buzzard's own speculations where he's assuming Unitarianism. No, he's quoting leading scholars like F.F. Bruce. Here's how Buzzard summarizes it. You'll have to read the appendix to really get the whole force of the case, but Sir Anthony says on page 420, In Hebrews 1.10, there is a complication due to the fact that the writer quotes Psalm 102 from the Greek version, the Septuagint, and not the Hebrew version. The Septuagint has a different sense entirely in Psalm 102, 23-25. It introduces thoughts not found in the Hebrew text. The Septuagint says, He, God, Answered him, the suppliant, tell me, God speaking to the suppliant, thou, Lord, God addressing someone else called Lord. But the Hebrew text has, He, God, weakened me. I, the suppliant, say, Oh my God, etc. So the author of Hebrews sees a conversation here going on between God and Jesus. And so that's why he applies the text to Jesus. take a step back from this admittedly confusing passage god and jesus are not one and the same in this book jesus is the high priest here who mediates between god and us jesus is the messiah there's a constant distinction in the whole book between the one god and jesus so the writer here isn't going to sneak in a secret message that oh also by the way god just is jesus that's incoherent the writer's not confused like that dr white though He says that words that can only be applied to Yahweh are applied to the Son here. Well, he's given us no reason to agree with that. He's only given us an assertion. And on the face of it, it's not true. The writer of Hebrews, looking at the Greek version of the Old Testament, saw God speaking to someone else in the psalm that's quoted. When the Trinity's podcast returns, Dr. White makes his closing argument.
0: public ministry the gospel of john reports in verses john chapter 12 verses 39 to 41 for this reason they were unable to believe because again isaiah said he has blind their eyes and hardened their hearts so that their eyes would be unseeing, their hearts without understanding so they would not turn and i would heal them these things isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke concerning him this is a citation from isaiah chapter 6 when isaiah is commissioned as a prophet and notice what he says. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke concerning him. So when we go back, John's citing from Isaiah's temple vision, where the prophet saw Yahweh upon his throne. So in verse 41 says, these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory, the only his in the context of John chapter 12 is Jesus. And verse 42 goes on to prove that that's who is in, in view here. So if we ask Isaiah... Isaiah, who did you see? His answer would be Yahweh. But if we ask John, who did Isaiah see? John's answer is who? Jesus. He saw Jesus.
1: Again, another contentious reading thrust out there like it's obvious. Does it have to be that the writer is referring to the vision of Yahweh in his throne room in Isaiah 6? No. In the Greek version, Isaiah 52, 13 says... This is a standard English translation of the Greek Septuagint. See, my servant shall understand, and he shall be exalted and glorified exceedingly. The gospel according to John refers to glory a number of times. Sometimes it's the glory of God, and sometimes it's the glory of Jesus. John 8.50, Jesus says, Yet I do not seek my own glory, there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So Jesus says, I'm not trying to grab the glory for myself. God's going to give it to me. What kind of glory is it? The glory of God, John 1:14, We have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. So it's the glory of a son in Jesus's case. In John 17, it's God who's going to give his glory to Jesus. John 8, 54. Jesus says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, he of whom you say, he is our God. Who's the God of the Jews? The Father. Can the one God, Yahweh, be the Father and also be the Trinity? No, because the Father is not the Trinity. If there is a Trinity, those are two different things, the Father and the Trinity. The Trinity is triune, the Father is not triune. Okay, so the reader of John recognizes that God has glory, that God gives glory to Jesus. If Isaiah saw his glory, it needn't have been in the throne room scene. It could have been in the passage I just read. Famously, Isaiah talks about God's suffering servant and God's promising to vindicate him and raise him, to glorify him. Okay, but Dr. White thinks it's a slam dunk that the fourth gospel just flat identifies Jesus and God. Why does he think that? coming up to his finale here.
0: Consider what this means. In John's gospel alone, Jesus identified as Theos in John 1.1, 1, 1, 20.28. Jesus identified as the Ego Imi, the nope. I Am, in 8.24, 8.58, 13.19, and 18.5-6. And he's identified as Yahweh in John 12.41. You think John's trying to communicate something to us Yes,
1: here? John is trying to communicate something to us, and it's what he says. It's that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God.
0: Yes, he is. And he is doing so with great clarity.
1: (laughs) Great clarity. When through the whole middle of the book, Jesus and God are two. God is someone else repeatedly. Jesus says, I don't testify on my own behalf. God testifies on my behalf for me. I don't glorify myself. There's another who glorifies me. Oh, and that other one is God. In chapter 20, we find out that our God is also Jesus's God. So, no, Dr. White, this is not great clarity. According to your contentious misreading, John is identifying Jesus and God, that is, saying they're numerically one, oh, and also distinguishing between them, saying that they're two. That's not clear. That's nonsensical confusion. Frankly, it's Dr. White's confusion that he's projecting onto John, because every passage from which people jump to the conclusion that Jesus is supposed to be God himself, every passage has a well-motivated, non-arbitrary, first-century interpretation which doesn't imply that. And generally speaking, it's an interpretation which some non-Unitarian readers will take. If you want to hear a different perspective on the whole Gospel according to John, check out Podcast 70, which is my presentation at the Society of Christian Philosophers called The One God and His Son According to John.
0: One other example, First Peter <laughs> chapter 3. Verses 14 through 15, you're probably familiar with the text. But even if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation, neither be troubled, but treat as holy Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now, I've used italics to show you where Peter is quoting from the Greek Septuagint. And he is quoting a text about Yahweh God. And so when he says, treat as holy the Messiah as kurios in your hearts that Greek term kurios is the Hebrew term Yahweh in Isaiah 8:12 through 13 so here you have Peter along with John and we see Paul also does this in Philippians chapter 2 and he quotes from Isaiah 45 all the New Testament writers the writer of the Hebrews what are they all doing? They're identifying Jesus as Yahweh that is what the nope. are teachings.
1: That's the fulfillment fallacy in all caps. New Testament writers apply Yahweh text to Jesus, but they don't mean to imply that Jesus just is Yahweh. Jesus is the son of Yahweh. He's Yahweh's Messiah. And about 1 Peter 3, go down a couple verses to verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. Later it says Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. This is a general piece of advice for you. Anytime someone is saying that a writer is obviously implying that Jesus just is God himself, just look in the rest of the chapter. In almost every case, he will clearly be distinguishing Jesus from God. There you go, twice in the same chapter. So no, he's not sending a secret encoded message that Jesus is God himself. Jesus is the one through whom we are saved. Jesus is the one who's been exalted by God, the one who suffered as a sacrifice according to the will of God to bring us to God. As it says elsewhere, he's the mediator between God and humankind.
0: So why have the Christian people from the days of the apostles confessed Jesus as deity and that long before there was anything even remotely resembling today's Roman Catholic church?
1: Now, this is just confusion. Dr. White is in the habit of citing second-century texts which refer to Jesus using the word God. Did they think that Jesus was God himself? Absolutely not. They constantly distinguish between Jesus and God. This is really explicit in Justin Martyr, Origen, and Tertullian, but I'm not going to spend time going through all the references here. The only people who seem to be collapsing the distinction between Jesus and God, like Dr. White, would be maybe some of the Monarchians the people that Tertullian ridicules as Patripacians. So generally, they're still distinguishing between Jesus and God in the 2nd century as two different beings, not two persons within one being. And also, in the 2nd century, there just aren't any Trinitarians. There's no talk about this triune God. Interestingly, even though they do use the word Trinity. But for them, for these 2nd century writers, the Trinity is God the Son of God and the Spirit of God. So God's a member of the Trinity. He's not the whole Trinity. That's a different use of the word. Back to Dr. White and his foundational points.
0: Because you cannot believe in Sola Scriptura and Tota Scriptura and not believe in the deity of Christ for the words of scripture taken as a whole, taken together in context teach this truth. Oh, That hasn't been shown. the words of Sorry. Ignatius of Antioch, written only a matter of years after the apostles. Listen to these Here words. The, the very generation quote. after the apostles, long before there was anybody who claimed to be a pope in Rome, there is one physician, a flesh and a spirit, generate and ingenerate, God existing in flesh, true life and death, both from Mary and from God, first passable and then impassable, Jesus Christ our Lord. The first generation of Christians, this is what they believe.
1: Now, laying aside all the serious concerns about the genuineness of this letter, at most it would show this. The phrase, God existing in the flesh, there God would refer to the incarnate Christ. And then it says that he's from both Mary and from God. At most this shows that the word God is in this time equivocal. It can refer to God or to the Son of God. And there are a few cases of this in the New Testament as well. Just a very few cases. It doesn't show... That Jesus and God have been collapsed into the same being in people's minds. That's a confusion that Dr. White has. He's attributing it to this source, but the source doesn't need to be read in that way. Again, all it requires is that the title God is equivocal.
0: My friends, yes, the Bible says there is one and only one God, which is the Father. Yes. The question this evening yes the Bible differentiates between the father and the son it is the son who took on flesh not the father it is the son who made himself of no reputation it is the son who did that out of his great love and out of the father's great love and the spirit's great love for us these are not disputed facts
1: right and so it follows that the father and son are not the same being if you've got any a and any B and you find that there are differences, qualitative differences, between those two things at any one time or eternally, then A and B have got to be two beings. This is self-evident. I'll link to some blog posts about this topic on the blog post for this podcast. Notice again, Dr. White has not said what the father and son are two of. Does he want to say they're two modes, two personalities, two somethings within oneself? That's what some Trinitarians say. I don't hear him saying that. Again, he's agreeing that there are differences between them, but then it follows from the self-evident truth that if any A and B differ at some one time, then A does not equal B. That is, we're dealing with two things, not with one. One thing can't be and not be the same way at the same time. Dr. White just rattled off some differences. Okay, so the Father and Son are two different beings, but there's only one God and...
0: But the Bible likewise identifies Jesus as Yahweh, showing us the divine truth that the being of God is shared by three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit.
1: Now this is sloppy. He hasn't done anything to show that the Spirit is also Yahweh. But let's spot him that. Does the Bible identify the Father as Yahweh? Surely he's going to say yes to that. Okay, so if the Father just is Yahweh and Jesus just is Yahweh, it logically follows that Jesus just is the Father. He's implying patrapassianism. I'm sure he doesn't mean to, but he's very far from having presented a coherent view of the Trinity here. It looks like he's just foisting a confused view on the New Testament. The confusion being that God and Jesus are one and the same and oh by the way they differ from one another that dog won't hunt
0: this is what you must believe if you believe the entirety of scripture hardly that is the trinity and the trinity is a biblical teaching
1: let's hope not they're confused is the
0: father yahweh who lays our sins upon the messiah according to isaiah 53 it's yahweh that lays our sins upon the side so there the fathers mm-hmm. identify as yahweh we've mm-hmm. seen the son identify as yahweh who nope. is the spirit of yahweh in the new testament the spirit of god that's,
1: that's right. Undoubted
0: question these are undoubted statements there's a no question about it so what do we do with it well christians have always believed that it teaches us the doctrine
1: nope demonstrably false we don't have time to go into the history here but There are no Trinitarians found in the second and third Christian centuries. If a Trinitarian is someone who believes that there is a tripersonal God, that the one God is the Trinity, it ain't there. I've looked hard. Calling Jesus God does not make one a Trinitarian. Again, lots of Unitarians have done that. Dr. White is defending really an indefensible position. That position is that the Trinity is just obviously implied by the New Testament it can't have been obviously implied because competent readers were reading the Bible in the second and third Christian centuries and you don't have the Trinity as the one God in those centuries in a non-monarchian sense. Okay, so that nobody made the inference shows that it's not an obvious inference. He has to ignore people like Origen, Tertullian, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr. He has to ignore them So that you don't see the ridiculousness of the basic position. That's why we're just going to stick with supposedly deducing this from the scripture. Obvious deductions are made by competent readers, especially ones who are guided by the spirit of God. Non-obvious deductions are made by people with a theory, who've committed to the theory, and that theory in turn affects how they read scripture. It's a problem that we're all subject to, unfortunately. When the Trinity's podcast returns, Dr. White summarizes his case.
0: Of time with you, considering well the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, may these echo in all of our ears. Jesus was speaking to people no farther away from him than you are from me, and he said, Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you Uh-oh. believe that ego I mean, I
1: sense a musical am, moment coming on,
0: you will die in your sins. Now, my friends, Jesus. Does it make sense to you that you do not want to die in your sins? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? You don't want to die in your sins. You want your sins dealt with before you face a Christ holy judge. These men would have accepted Jesus as a prophet. Sort of hard to disagree the man had supernatural power when he raised people from the dead, heals blind eyes. That wasn't enough. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, the very same words that when he said those words to the soldiers and they came to arrest him, what happened? They fell back on the ground. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins.
1: No, Dr. White, I'm sorry, but according to John, the requirement is that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah like he says in his explicit thesis statement. There's no obligation for you to accept the confused oneness Pentecostal reading of this passage. All right, take that music out of here. Get out of here, guys. That's enough music, guys. Out, 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 out. My friends. Okay, here's the closer.
0: We're here this evening to talk about who God is. But as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I must emphasize that the gospel itself is based upon who Jesus Christ is.
1: Absolutely. A Son false of God.
0: Jesus cannot save you.
1: Stick with Son of God and you'll be true.
0: A Jesus who is any less than the one described for us in the page of the scripture cannot save you. I have debated this subject in mosques all around the world. Mm. I've stood in the Abu Bakr Mosque in Erasmia, South Africa, where the Imam leads the prayers and defended these very beliefs. And I say to you what I say, said to them. You cannot have a Jesus who's a mere prophet.
1: Right, Messiah.
0: You're gonna have a Jesus who's a mere teacher. Son of God. That Jesus never existed. Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, the Messiah, you will die in your sins. We need a divine savior. We need one who can truly give his life as the ransom sacrifice for sin.
1: Okay, so you won't find anywhere in the New Testament that says that it has to be God who dies for our sins. You will find in the New Testament that God is immortal. And that means he can't die. You know, we do better to stick with the explicit claims of the New Testament, Dr. White. You've deduced that Jesus is God himself, now you're telling us that God himself died and so then he wasn't by his essence immortal, but the scripture teaches that. The case for that is in podcast 145.
0: And that's the Jesus of the New Testament. Stick with him. Can you with Thomas, can you repeat the words of Thomas when he saw the evidence I can. Of the resurrected Lord. I do. And he says to him, my Lord and my God. One
1: Lord, and one Jesus's God. That's right.
0: is, because you've seen me, have you believed, Thomas? Blessed are those who having not seen
1: You believe in God, believed. believe also in me.
0: If Jesus was anything other than the eternal Son of God entered into flesh, he would have had to have rebuked Thomas nope. at that very point.
1: Because God has raised him. The reality
0: him. is, the truth is, that just as Paul wrote to Titus, just as Peter wrote to to his audience, 2 Peter 1.1, the early Christians believe our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nope. That is the consistent faith of the Christian people down through the centuries. And the reason is, it is the consistent teaching of God's inspired word. I call you to confess with me, Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. Thank you for your attention this evening.
1: So his slogan is a contentious translation of a verse, or a contentious translation of a couple of verses. Again, better to stick with the explicit text of the New Testament. That's the end of his opening statement. There's more to the debate. I'll give you the link on the blog post for this episode. Dr. White, if you want something different, if you want something new, I would be glad to debate you sometime. Get in touch with me. I will give you an argument for Christian Unitarian theology based on the New Testament, and no one will be able to say that it presupposes Unitarianism. And the reason is, I won't just take a few favorite Unitarian verses and say, see, Unitarianism. I'll argue from large-scale facts about the New Testament, from its explicit teachings, and from its clear implications, and I'll call into question theory-driven, questionable, inferences that you're going to make from the scripture i'll debate whether or not the one god is a trinity in the new testament i'll debate whether or not jesus according to the bible is the one god himself it's probably best to debate one of those two things rather than start talking about the trinity and then retreating to the you think easier to prove text deity of christ i think it's important that a person should have something to say about all the important texts And yet, when we hunker down into specific points about Greek grammar, we tend to lose our broader vision. And I think that's really what's called for if we're really going to debate Trinitarian versus Unitarian Christian theology. I do occasionally make use of a little bit of humor in my presentations, but I'm sure Dr. White can handle that. But can he handle the case that I will make from the New Testament without employing any controversial philosophical theses, just the New Testament common sense, and the standard scholarly helps. There's a powerful case that all of those authors are Unitarians in their theology. I don't think that Dr. White's opponents so far have made that case as well as it can be made. Would you like to see Dr. White and I debate one of these topics? If so, why don't you leave a comment on the blog post for this episode at trinities.org. And also, contact Dr. White and let him know. Just go to his website, the link is on the blog post for this episode, and fill out the web form there. And hopefully he'll get the message. If you're interested in hosting such an event, get in touch with one of us. I assume he wouldn't want to debate me. It wouldn't fit the standard script of battling the cultist, which is, I think, what Dr. White prefers. I'm not in a cult. I've never been in a cult. I'm pretty much a lifelong evangelical who just went back and re-examined Scripture at great length and found that it didn't say what I thought it was going to say. Basically, I'm an insider who's a whistleblower. I accept the authority of Scripture and all of it. I neither assume nor accept the authority of the Catholic traditions that Dr. White is relying on in his exegesis so I don't fit the script. I do think I'm qualified to do this. Hopefully Dr. White agrees and we'll work something out. Anyway, let us know if you'd be interested in seeing something like that. This week's Thinking Music has been the track Land Legs by Andy G. Cohen. As always, there's a link at the bottom of the blog post for this episode at trinities.org, where you can listen to or download this entire track. If you love the Trinity's podcast, please share the podcast on social media. Another thing you can do is give us an honest rating and review in the iTunes store for your country. You can support the podcast by giving us a one-time or a monthly donation through PayPal. Just look for the orange buttons on the right side of any blog post. Lastly, make your voice heard. Give us a comment on the blog post for this episode or join our very active Facebook group at facebook.com groups trinities. Don't forget then to share, to rate, to chip in when you can and to talk back.